0: I give you. A new command I give you. Love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And now John 15, so that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And now John 15, from verses 9 to 14. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. You are my friends if you do what I command. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you.
1: You know what's wrong with the world? Too much love. Nations go to war because they love each other. Marriages break up because they love one another too much. Churches split because they love one another. Well, no. The words that we've just had read to us are some of Jesus' words to his disciples at the Last Supper, just a few hours before he was arrested and tried and killed. And he is distilling into one teaching moment the things that he was, wants his disciples to know. He talks about the coming ministry of the Holy Spirit. He talks about prayer. He warns about your hatred of the world. He reminds them that ultimately he, and therefore they, will triumph and their future is secure. And he repeats the command. At the beginning of his last words, he says, A new command I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And then just a few minutes later, he says it again. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And these words really resonated with John, who wrote this gospel. And decades later, he wrote a letter to some Christians, 1 John in which one of the themes he returns to over and over again is love for one's fellow Christian, and he too repeats this command. For this is a message that you had heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Love one another. Chapter 3. Beloved, beloved, let us love one another. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And... Clearly, John took these words of Jesus to heart, and clearly Jesus thinks it's pretty important that those who follow him, i.e. us, love each other. So, what would you say about our love quotient as a church? On a scale of 1 to 100, where might you place us when it comes to our being a loving community? It's not a question of how well we get along or if there is an absence of conflict or how many of us show up at a funeral. It's a question of depth of love. So how are we doing on the scale of 1 to 100? Here are some questions to help you think about this. When things are going badly in your life, You've got financial struggle, struggles or facing temptation or depression. you've got marriage issues, Who do you talk to? If there's real joy or a celebration in your life, who shares that with you? Is it somebody in this room? If crisis or tragedy strikes, who is it that you want to see at your door? Whose voice to hear on the phone? Who do you choose to have a listening ear? Is it someone around you? Is there anybody in the church who really knows you well? How often, apart from Sundays or regularly scheduled meetings, do you see or talk to someone else in the church? When your life group night comes around, does it feel like a time commitment or an opportunity to be with friends? When is the last time you said to or heard from someone in this congregation the words, I love you? Your answers to these questions and others like them will tell you how you feel our church is doing as a community characterized by love. So on a scale of 1 to 100, i like to look at this command of Jesus to love one another And draw our attention to four things the what, the whom, the how, and the why. First, the what. Love. Love. What is love? Because we throw around the word pretty indiscriminately. I love that movie. I love chocolate. I love you. I love God. Anyone who truly loves chocolate needs to see a doctor. But what does it mean to love somebody? Andy Stanley says, love is a verb. You can't fall into or out of love. Love is not equal to like or to passion. It's not just an emotion. Love is something you choose. It's an act of the will, something that you do. You can be very angry at someone and still choose to love them. Love, biblically, is to consider others as better than yourselves, to not only consider your own interests, but also the interests of others, is to submit yourself out of reverence to Christ, submit yourself to one another. These are things that don't come naturally. Love is supernatural. 1 John 4, verse 8 reminds us that God is love. So to love, then, is to be godly. It's like being manly. To be manly is to have attributes typical of the ideal man. Physical strength, strengths of character, a black truck. To be godly is to have the attributes of God. We are called to love God. Sorry, Um, one of these is love. In his word, God makes a big deal of love. We are called to love God, to love our neighbor, even love our enemies, love one another. Love is the first fruit of the Spirit. Love is the greatest of faith, hope, and love. We're called to put on love over every other virtue. Love covers a multitude of sins. Good thing, too. So this is a picture of love. Is what you do to each other. This is the what of Jesus' command to his followers. Second, there is a whom. Love one another. Jesus wants to make sure that his disciples, all to follow him, know that they are to love one another. Now, easier said than done. For some people... Love one another and love your enemies are the same thing. To live above with saints you love, all that will be glory. To live below with saints you know, now that's a different story. Did not the disciples already love one another? Well... Not necessarily, not all the time. James and John once asked Jesus for the favor of sinning and his right and his left hand in his kingdom. And when the other ten heard about it, the Bible says they were indignant. Among the disciples were Simon the zealot and Matthew the tax collectors. Zealots were violently opposed to Rome. Tax collectors were collaborators. How long did it take these two to love one another? So surely there were struggles. Between my third and fourth year at college, I spent two and a half years, uh, two and a half months, touring with a singing group, kind of a PR thing from the school. We were eight people in a van for nine weeks. And there were times when we didn't like each other or love one another. Imagine spending three years in the pocket of 11 men who do you, whom you did not choose. So no, loving one another was not easy. But they got it. And the early church got it right. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Again, two chapters later. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they have everything in common. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And, again, it was distributed to any as any had need. So the early church got it. Our vision statement is on the front of your bulletins. Have a look at it. Our fixation on Jesus, and our being led by the Holy Spirit, will have two fruits. Look at the end. A passionate love for God, in a passionate love for all who come that it is every person who walks in these doors these happen together if anyone says i love god but hates his brother he is a liar for he do, does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love god whom he has not seen you see it's impossible to love god if you don't love one another Rather, your love is suspect. Your love for God is suspect if you don't love one another. So that's the what, love, and the whom, one another. Now comes the how. And here, Jesus takes it to a whole new level. Okay, so I need to love, even when I don't feel like it. And I need to show love to the faith community of which I am a part. Okay, I get that. But Jesus as, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And in case they miss it, he says it again. Chapter 15, love one another as I have loved you. That's a how, as Christ has loved us. Wow. (laughs) And how has he done that? Right after he said, as I have loved you, he goes on to say, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Christ laid down his life for the church. Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And I don't know how to paint this picture to make your jaw drop in awe of that kind of love. If we truly knew the depths of our sin, we might get an idea. Our sin is far, far worse than we can even imagine. And it's not just sin. It's sin against the Trinity, the triune God, against God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And it's not just sin against God, but it's ongoing sin, Ongoing unfaithfulness, even for us who know him. What if man was consistently unfaithful to his spouse? He might confess with tears of remorse and swear he'll never do it again. And he might be genuine. He might really mean it. He might have every intent to be faithful this time. He might express his love. But then he does it again and again and again, and again, and again. Jesus, in his death, took the punishment for exactly that offense against the Trinity, the triune God. Now, God changes us, to be sure. When you walk with him over time, you sin less than you did five or 45 years ago, but sin will always be an issue for us. This week, I pulled out some cards, and notebook filled with affirmations that you have written for me, and it means a lot to read those affirmations of faith and character. But I have a lot less faith and character than shows on the outside. God and I both know the darkness of my heart. But Jesus loved me and gave himself for me and for you. In John 15, this command, love one another as I have loved you, occurs in the middle of the longer section about abiding in Christ, having his words remain in you, bearing fruit, etc. And Jesus says in this section, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We can't love as Jesus loved unless we remain connected to Jesus. He's just not an example for us to follow. We remain connected to him. We can't do it apart from him. So, how can you love with Jesus kind of love? What are the words that someone around you needs to hear? What do you have that someone around you needs to have or to borrow? Who needs a friend? A visit? Who needs some time, some money, your skills? Who needs a ride? Who needs something fixed? And if it came down to it, would you give your life for one another? Love one another as Christ hath loved us. And fourth, the why. By this, all people will know you are my disciples. By this, all people will know You are my disciples. In John 17, at the end of this discourse, just before he was arrested, Jesus prayed this. I pray that they all may be one, just as you are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And again, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. We exist to know Christ and to make him known. Every church for 2,000 years has had this mandate. Yet how many churches have failed to make him known because they haven't loved one another as Jesus loved? Many people claim Christians are all hypocrites. Not all Christians, certainly. It bothers me to know that some people paint all Christians with the same brush. But they call us hypocrites because all too often they have seen Christians not loving one another. If you claim to know, the, uh, if you came to follow a God of love beyond belief, do you have credibility if people see you are not loving? Would you go on a diet recommended by an obese person? Or see a dentist with bad teeth? Or have your car at a body shop owned by a guy whose car is rusting out? Will somebody come to God if they see representatives of that God consistently unloving? One of the themes of scripture is the love of God's people for each other. The Old Testament, with all its injunctions regarding the poor, the widows, the orphans, fair treatments of one's neighbors, was given to the Israelites. God's Old Testament people, given to the Israelites for the Israelites. Even commands regarding the alien and the foreigner had to do with aliens and foreigners who made their home among the Israelites for all who come. In the New Testament, nearly all the commands have to do with relationships inside the respective communities of faith. Even Jesus, when he talked of the least of these, said, Truly, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you didn't for me, my family. Now, I'm not suggesting that we are not to care about the needs outside the church. I think we are. But the vaster part of the Bible has to do with us loving in-house, not out-house. You knew I was going to say that. So that people will know that we are Christ's disciples. If the world could look at the church and see the very character of God lived here, they would be drawn to God. Gary preached the one another's because he knows, we know, that if we love one another, have harmony with one another, the world will know that Jesus is our Savior and theirs. It's not our preaching. It's not doctrine, though believing the truth is, of course, it's central. It's not our worship services or our music. It's our love for one another. That's how people will believe that our doctrine is true, that preaching the word is necessary, that our worship is genuine. It's our love that will convince them that we are disciples of the living Christ. In the late first and second centuries, people saw the way Christians took care of each other and marveled, see how they love one another. Our whole purpose as a church is to see people come to faith in Christ, to find forgiveness of sin, to enjoy fullness of life with God. Our effectiveness in doing that depends largely on how we love one another. People will be drawn to the the reality of Christ if they see his people loving one another. If they can say, see how they love one another. Nothing turns them, turns them off faster than superficiality or shallowness in our relationships. Who would believe a people who preach abundance of life, with a God who loves deeply, yet who are not free to know each other and to love, one, to love one another? It's worthwhile to pay attention to the command to love one another because as we do that, if we'll pay off in ministry effectiveness in far greater ways than our best strategies or programs ever could. Christian Schwartz wrote these profoundly true words. Unfeigned, practical love endows a church with a much greater magnetic power than all the best marketing efforts of the world. He's right. So do we want people to know that Christ loved them as he has loved us? Then we will love one another, not just like each other. In fact, we may not like one another, but love one another deeply. To love those we don't like and to love from the heart. Love one another as I have loved you. We don't roll up our sleeves and try hard. We love because God first loved us. We have the mind of Christ. We're being transformed into the likeness of Christ. We remain in the vine. You know, we need to fix our attention on Jesus. To love one another is still an intentional act of choosing for us. Love is a verb. So I want to ask you this morning to take a, one or both of two projects. First, in the next few moments, we'll read 1 Corinthians 13. As we read that, ask God, whom do you have for me to love this week or even today? Whom do you have for me to love? And ask him how, and then do it. Or second, in the next four weeks, make a point of showing love to one another. Um, you may select an evening each week and say, The next four Monday evenings, I'm going to set aside and make connections with people at the church. Maybe it's someone you know fairly well, your life group, for example. Maybe it's uh, someone who is a relative newcomer. Um, on that evening or a point in the day, have people over for dinner, go for a walk, meet for coffee talk on the phone, maybe it would be to leave a card, a note of encouragement. This takes time, no question. But I think, and God thinks, that it's worth doing, practicing, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another, so that all people will know you are my disciples. I'd like us to have read responsively um, 1 Corinthians 13, and I'll read a slide, and then you will read a slide. And again, as we read that, ask God, whom do you have for me to love? And uh, I'm going to ask you, no, you could be seated. You could stand in a moment for him, so I'll read, and then you read. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if... If I give away all I have, And if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love Love does not envy or boast; it is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way; it is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love never ends. Will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. And altogether, so now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three but the greatest of these is love. We're going to sing now hymn number 134, I Love Thy Kingdom, Lord. And um, just for a moment, hear these words, a paraphrase of the hymn, and then we will sing them. I love your kingdom, Lord, and I love the place where you yourself live, the church Jesus bought with his own blood. I love your church, and so do you. She stands before you, the apple of your eye, so securely held by you, is as if she were carved right into your hand. And so for her, I will weep and pray Expending all my passion and energy for her, for as long as you give me. Greater even than my own personal joys, I prize the church, churches' fixation with heavenly things, her unity with one another and with you, her bridal vows of commitment to you, her songs of worship. As sure as your word, Lord, the greatest joys of earth. And the greater joys of heaven are for the church, for your people. Amen.